Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknism. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm well, David. I'm like a dog with a stick who wants to chase another stick. There we go. <laughs> Got to keep trading off those sticks. It's the way of the world. You trade in the one stick for the bigger stick. What are you doing with that tiny yeah. little stick? You got a whole branch over here. What are you? Exactly. You don't know, you have any, don't you have any ambition? Don't you have any ambition? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I want I want to be ambitious for sticks. No go. apologies whatsoever. No apologies. You know what? Take both sticks. The world is your oyster or the world is your stick. However you want to look at it. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to I'm here to help. <laughs> Today I went to Walmart and uh well, I should preface this by saying yesterday I went to Walmart and my total came up to $25.52, which was a nice little palindromic number. And then I today hit $32.23. What does it mean? I guess we'll find out. But the universe is sending me messages. I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to keep going to Walmart or stay out of Walmart, but there's something going on. Oh, and the other thing was that the Walmart that I walked into had this amazing, you know, goth Christmas light type situation going on along the top of the building with, uh, with crows or ravens, maybe, but just these very evenly spaced ravens were, were all over the Walmart. Maybe something bad's going to happen there. I don't know. Maybe this is a Mothman type situation. <laughs> and I'm being, I'm being warned about a disaster at the bridge, but there's no bridges here. There's just Walmarts and sticks. Lots of them. And ravens. And yeah. ravens. Are you yeah. sure they're ravens? I'm not sure. Ravens black, are kind of <laughs> Black birds. Big black birds. Yeah, okay. Look, look, I think they might be crows, but, uh, <laughs> well, good luck with that. I'm not an ornithologist. I'm a stickologist, man. I, yeah, I, I, could tell okay. you, I could tell you oak. I could tell you pine. I could tell you black gum. Whatever stick you're looking at, I can tell you. Birds, not so much. Not so much. But I do have an app now for that. I have a bird watching app. I have a bird watching app, I have a bug identifier app, and I have a plant identifier app where I can snap a pic and find out its, you know, scientific name and its uh, regular colloquial name. Those are cool. I, I like that stuff. I know. I think I, a bird thing is good. I uh, I've noticed around uh, here that we're getting this weird influx of birds from the heart of Mexico and Central America. Mm. And, you know, I think that's interesting at a time with, you know, the immigration, you know, movement. It's, you know, people and creatures in motion, you know, yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah. Maybe that's what's always been happening. Yeah, I find the movement of creatures very interesting because settlers introduced horses to North America, correct? Yes, they did. Oh, see, that's fascinating. The idea that there were no horses on this continent before settlers. Well, started. you know, there, there were, there were, there were, uh, well, not horses the way that we know them. I think that's fair to say. Yes, they were introduced. Absolutely. And they were, they've proven very successful, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I wonder how that informs the development of a civilization when you have horses and camels and things like that to use, because the natives here wouldn't have ridden much of any. I mean, you can't ride a buffalo, unless you have a death wish, I guess. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, seriously, 
do not try to get anywhere near an American bison. I can't believe that that message hasn't gotten through to some people, but you know, every year it happens. And even like elk, I think, did I ever tell you about, you know, around the edge of the Grand Canyon, you know, people say, listen, don't, don't feed the elk. Don't try to get near the elk. And every year tourists, Try to get near the elk, yeah. and something, <laughs> something bad always happens. And then, of course, the elk get lamed. Yeah. You know? Well, I tell you what, I admire their ambition. You know, when people tell me not to get near the elk, all I hear is opportunity. I hear, <laughs> I hear nobody else is getting near the elk. So what are what are they what are they hiding? <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah well there is yeah. that and i i understand that position totally too yeah, yeah. some uh, people call me okay. a contrarian but when i'm you know dying because i've been gored and disemboweled i'll be able to say that i did things my way you know so on that note today on this day it's a day of remembrance actually it's the day after the day of remembrance yesterday was 9 11 the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attack on the United States, which I remember quite clearly. How about yourself? I do remember it very clearly. Uh, I had just gotten back to Australia after quite a big gig in the States. I was at the Squaw Valley Community of Writers. I had done uh, a big uh, desert visit, and I had actually done a big visit to... uh, to Vegas was this uh, here and, and pre or post you know? pre or post Zanesville pre pre okay pre. what year did Zanesville come yeah, out yeah it 2005 oh, it was okay and it's interesting you mention it because I mean I I really had uh quite uh well I had something really substantially written and I knew that it was uh just not right. And and it was actually at Squaw Valley that I had the turning point moment of thinking that, that something needed to change. And it was it was the, the occasion for me in which uh, any attempt at social realism in writing kind of really just that I gave that away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like that was really behind somehow. So it was a real it was a real turning point. Um and to get back uh, to Australia with, with trying to process uh, a whole uh, adventure back in America, one of, one of my two major trips back, having been you know, gone, uh, it was very, very weird to, uh, you know, to suddenly wake up and, and, and hear this news that... that uh, appeared to upend, you know, all of reality and certainly, you know, contemporary American history very, very suddenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was it was very weird to process. And I had the, this whole new group of uh, writer friends who, fortunately, I, I've, I'm still in, in good contact with them, and I appreciate that because many, you know, relationships sort of uh, bend and change shape over time. But with the two people who uh, I shared a house with um, at Squaw, uh, we were able to kind of discuss and debrief around it. Um, I mean, where were you when that happened? I was at school. I was uh, Mm -hmm. basically, it was a normal day at my junior high. 
and I heard about it around the lunch table. Uh, we didn't get any kind of class uh, recess or anything like that. We basically sat down to eat lunch, and a friend of mine, John, came up to the table and said his said his trade. He's like, "Did you know that planes rammed into the the World Trade Center?" And I thought, "Oh, what's the World Trade Center?" And you know, big buildings, what have you. And then he said, you know what we should do? We should start a rumor that planes have also hit the Empire State Building, right? It's a kind of full-on assault on New York. And I thought, hmm, yeah, actually, that does sound like a good idea. But we didn't end up doing it. We ended up chickening out. But I'll never forget that. And the reason why is because it's interesting to me that you can live in a state like Oklahoma, which is about... Uh, 2,000 miles away from New York City, maybe, maybe not that far, but it felt like such a different world, and I had such different priorities then, and I got to thinking yesterday, I did do a lot of reflecting about where I was 20 years ago when I was 14 years old, and where I am now at 34, and just all of the changes that I've gone through as far as how my mind works and what my priorities have become. And it's really something to reflect on because 20 years is a decent chunk of time. It's about a quarter of, a, of the average life. I think saying that's fair. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll stop there for a minute because I'm not sure where you want to go, but I, I had a lot of thoughts about that in particular. And I'm curious on that note, where where were you ideologically, politically, et cetera, in 2001? Well, uh, honestly, I, I was much, uh, much, much further left than I am now. Sure. Uh, and I'm not sure I would describe, well, I, I would outright describe myself as not left mm -hmm. uh, now. Um, I, I, I think I was a, a pretty conventional quasi-political uh, uh, artist, you know? Right. Um, and I, I didn't really, uh, well, I, I didn't really think that much about day-to-day -day sort of politics. I was very concerned at, in the moment about the Bush administration. I, I thought that the... Uh, the election was was very fraught and bizarre. I couldn't help but notice that suddenly, uh, you know, everything was consolidated and changed, and that did look a little bit convenient and very suspicious to me. Mm -hmm. um, as an expatriate, I, I was I was very um, I, I was very concerned about the image of, of America internationally and and what we're doing, uh, and I I still retain that idea. I. I um, I see that American colonialism has, has not ended one iota and it's just changed form and there are some different people behind it. Um, so I, I've never, um, I don't know, I, I, I hesitate to ever call myself political, but I think we've all become a little bit more political. And I, I think maybe that might have been, uh, you know, for anyone uh, old enough to really remember it, I think that might have been a real turning point, watershed. Absolutely, you know? because I began to see music videos of bands that I was a fan of, you know, having Bush 
with his head transposed onto the body of a chimp, uh, I began to see sort of openly political songs and albums and themes. Rage Against the Machine's first album came out in 1998, I believe. And that was definitely strange for the time. Not to say that political bands had never existed before that, but the time itself, especially in heavy metal music, was populated by bands such as Limp Biscuit and Korn, very MTV-friendly new metal bands that had a very solipsistic, depressive bent to them. And once 9-11 happened and the subsequent wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, bands began to take on this very kind of political air. I think because it was so easy. I think because at the time it was very clear. Uh, let's put it this way. George W. Bush made an easy target, didn't he? Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because not only and 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 his his minions, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I think that Cheney, you know. I mean, I think it was it was a it was very easy then to choose sides and to know which side you didn't want to be on. I, yeah. I really, I, I do feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there was no doubt. So now I'm curious. Um, what would you say changed over time? You said that you wouldn't describe yourself as left. I wouldn't either, for the record. What happened? I've been thinking about that a lot. And I, uh, the recent trip, uh, you know, I've been in Seattle. I went to L.A. and then up the road to Big Sur. And I felt I really kind of took a swim in, in woke culture uh, fairly directly. Um, I think what what's changed for me is that any idea of critical thinking on the part of the left seems to just have been jettisoned yeah. over time. Uh, I, I think it's accelerated since 2016. Uh, I, I think there is a, a kind of almost uh, orthodox religious fanaticism uh, that really is a very great concern. Uh, that I, I have no apologies for rejecting just completely. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think even before the intensity of that, I noticed that, that a lot of the, what I consider to be um, a really open-handed, open-minded approach to self-critique on the part of the left just got completely washed out. Mm -hmm. You know, and and there were there were some serious people who uh, who stepped away. I mean, I think it's interesting what happened to David Mamet. Um, you know, he he really had a, a very forceful turn against the left, and and we don't. I mean, I can't think of anyone who really is uh, applying the rigor, the discipline, and the fair mindedness. Mm -hmm that I associate with my intellectual heroes growing up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. And I do think that the turning point for me happened in 2016 as well, when we were presented with two candidates in the form of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton that were not, not ideal on either side. But you, I noticed that the the tenor of the conversation became a little bit dangerous. I'll never forget after... 
Donald Trump was elected, I went to BizarroCon in Portland, which is a year was a yearly gathering at the McMenamin's Edgefield. McMenamin's is this great company that finds old buildings, you know, schools, uh, you know, mental hospitals, old folks' homes, and converts them into kind of luxury hotel and and breweries. And you've been there, you know, McMenamin's Edgefield is great. It's this fantastic, yeah, fantastic yeah. venue for a for a writer's get together. There are all these little nooks and crannies. Uh, it's got kind of a shining vibe to it. It's very, very cool. Um, (laughs) But I remember I was there and I remember Donald Trump had just taken office. So this would have been early November of 2016. And I remember at the time having followed the election very closely, uh, Hillary Clinton was pretty much freely dragged through the mud in the way that Joe Biden was not because the, the media completely locked down in the 2000 or 2020 election, I should say. Uh, But in 2016, she was such a given that the press really actually kind of let the critiques fly because they figured, well, there's no chance that Donald Trump is going to win. So, so why don't we actually just do our jobs here and, you know, really analyze this person. So I had a pretty good grasp on what Hillary was all about. And after Trump had won, I was outside with and people smoking a cigarette. And I remember saying, well, you know, at the end of the day, they'll probably be mostly the same. You know, Donald Trump will be mostly the same as Hillary Clinton would have been. And everybody got quiet. And it's almost as though the crickets stopped chirping and the birds stopped singing. <laughs> and <laughs> the woman who I was talking to, who's completely mentally unstable, uh, she's, you know, she said, uh, they would be the exact same. And she just started ranting and raving and crying. And she actually, this was about eight o'clock at night, she actually excused herself, went to her room, and didn't come out for the rest of the night because she was so uh, viscerally upset by what I had said. And that was a real turning point for me. I didn't feel bad. I very rarely feel bad about the things that I say, unless they're nasty or mean-spirited. But that's when I realized that the conversation was over from the left. Well, it's interesting that we we head down this path, you know, on a weekend of remembrance, because I, in many ways, I think it's actually hard to remember yeah. uh, the situation in, in 2001. And I, I find that peculiar. I think that's part of the change in my thinking that, uh, although I don't know that necessarily all that much has happened uh, in the last, you know, five to eight years to completely eclipse everything that's come before, it, it does seem as if that that is not uh, a unique, you know, experience mm-hmm. that that we're kind of lost in a a really uh, weird media amnesia thing mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we can't put things into into bigger perspective uh i mean i I, one of the things that that uh occurred to me over the weekend and it wouldn't be as uh you know noticeable and 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 high you know horizon here as it was in the southern hemisphere but the bali bombings uh which were a a really i mean bali is just such a mellow Mm -hmm. 
uh, part of the world. And it is, in fact, you know, a part of Indonesia that, that is not uh, a Muslim. You know, it really it, it, it and the attack was very much on uh, Australians there. And it was considered a kind of Australian uh, 9-11 sort of event. Um, devastating in, 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 in smaller scale, but, but nonetheless horrific. And I had actually kind of put that out of mind. And I, I have a great number of Indonesian friends. Uh, I've been to the Bali, um, the Ubud Writers Festival, um, which was founded as a response to the bombings to try to rebuild confidence in tourism. And it did catch me a little bit off guard this morning to think, wow, I haven't really thought of that for a while, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't really have an easy answer of why that's the case. Um, Do you miss it? Do you miss the, the time pre-9-11 or around that time? I do. Uh, I do. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what I mean when I say that. I, I feel... Um, it's not nostalgia for a more innocent period because I don't believe that. And I, I was really, really uh, heavily uh, obsessed with the whole Oklahoma city bombing, yeah. um, which was a very different event. And I'm sure you have a different you know, perspective on that, although that happened, you know, earlier. Um th- <sighs> So it isn't it isn't a nostalgia for any kind of innocence, uh, but it did seem like it was possible to have more uh, genuine intellectual discussions with people about politics. I felt that the arts community uh, had a lot more solidarity, and maybe there are many reasons involved mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we both know people in the Portland scene. You know, I know that the the whole Minneapolis scene collapsed well before you know uh, the, the the civil rights protests of of late. Um, Seattle has always been conflicted for me. Uh, there are many factors that have changed, but mm-hmm. I, I think the sum total is that there has been a cumulative effect that has been very negative for discourse, inquiry, and community particularly amongst, well, people like, you know, artists. Uh, and yes, I do miss an earlier period. Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I do too. I was thinking back fondly on 2012 recently. I have my office set up. Rios did a great job of cleaning all the junk out of it. And now it's an actual open office, and she hung up a lot of our old posters, and she has one from September 28th of 2012 when she and I went to uh, Morrison Con at the Hard Rock Hotel in Las Vegas, probably pretty close to where you're at, as a matter of fact. Um, Isn't that when we when we did the Midget Mister T? No, 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 no. That was go. That would have been a year, several years later. I believe it was maybe three or four years after that, because we were in town. Really? Yes, because we were in town for that for a concert. That Rios was going to Big Bang, okay. the, the, the South right. Korean boy band, and she went off to see her concert, and I met you, and we went to 
is it called the Broadway Strip? What is what's that that other strip? That not the the uh, Fremont Street. Fremont <clears throat> Street, exactly. And there, yeah, and there were people yeah, repelling, yeah. and there was midget Mister T, and there was a big metal uh, grasshopper praying mantis that sprayed fire. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. that was a good time. But no, no, this one in two thousand and twelve was uh, specifically for this con, and I remember being in the in the Hard Rock Hotel, walking around, smoking cigarettes uh, indoors, and you know meeting my my comic book heroes and all this kind of stuff and it just seemed like there was so much in the realm of uh possibility and freedom several people were there as guests who've since been canceled james gunn the director was there uh this was before he'd gotten his meal ticket and then lost his meal ticket and then gotten his meal ticket again uh max landis was just a kid he's only a little bit older than i am he's the son of uh john landis the director um who you know max has gone on to make many movies and then got himself canceled right uh which you know there's no love lost for me for any of these people because they're not my friends but it does seem to me to be uh moving slowly but surely towards the kind of environment we have right now and if i'm just being completely honest and people minimize this all the time especially on the left online and they tell you that you're being a wimp or that, you know, you're, you're being overly dramatic. Um, but I get, you know, I get a little emotional about these times, right? They were happier times. Everybody wasn't at each other's throats all the time. And there was, I don't know, a feeling of solidarity and community and potential that is just gone. You know, I wake up every day with no, no feeling like, anything like that will ever come back. And, you know, outside of this podcast, the podcast I do with my friend Kelby and, and the books that I write, I feel very, uh, I feel very isolated and alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hear you. I hear you, David. And I, I, I think, you know, the irony is, is that there are many people uh, who, who feel the same way. And it, it, uh, it is a very, very strange time. I think it's interesting you mentioned 2012, which uh, that was a particularly good year for me. I, I thought there was some really exciting things happening. I, I did feel a, a rush of energy. I felt uh, genuinely excited to be back living in America, uh, having you know lived overseas for so long. I'd come back, of course, from, you know, time to time, visit family, do, you know, book stuff, but to actually be resident here and, and to be resident uh, in, in Las Vegas and also traveling a lot in America, traveling, you know, seeing a lot of places, uh, either cities that I, I knew and, and was familiar with or many new places uh, and getting out in the wild, you know, I, I really felt like there was a tremendous sense of, of, of energy. Um, and I, I wonder if, you know, I've been trying to think lately uh, how much of, of what I'm feeling is just this exhaustion has to do with uh, a tremendous sense of disappointment and betrayal uh, with uh, left-wing fanaticism, which mm -hmm. I really think it is fanatical. Yeah. 
and I'm not saying there isn't a right wing, you know, equivalent of that. It's always what you have to say quickly yeah, because yeah. you know yeah, the, the it's like okay, the equivocation seems necessary, but I I don't even do it anymore because I'm just like you know I don't feel the need to say that I'm disillusioned with the left, but you know, and I'm and I'm not a Hitler fan. I'm not a Hitler fan, right? Or you know. If I maybe a better analogy would have been if if you're critiquing American soldiers and maybe some of the questionable practices they did in uh, in World War Two, you know, having to say and you know I'm not I'm not a Nazi, not a Hitler fan, just saying the Americans, you know, there's a little bit of raping and pillaging going on. Um, anyway, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I I get so exhausted with the equivocations. We we know that side, especially the neocon side, is bad. But the neocons, man. Yeah. Are on MSNBC now. They've switched over. Bill Bill Crystal Bill Crystal's on MSNBC. What the fuck is up with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, I, I I you know and as someone who has taught you know pretty high level media studies at the university level. I don't know how anyone can make the case that, you know, the majority of media outside of Fox News doesn't have an extreme bias to, uh, you know, the left. I, I just don't see how that can be supported. Mm-hmm. But CNN is is Fox News. It's yeah. the same thing. It's just, you know, it's it's much of a muchness. And I, I do think that a large part of the blame for the the malaise that we're talking about uh, can be really laid at the at the feet of of mainstream media. I absolutely do believe that. Um, I think we've been poisoned, um, and it's it's getting worse. I think that there's no incentive for any kind of real uh, legitimate discourse and analysis anymore. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I think. Uh, is that that everyone is just uh, to the breaking point with COVID. You know, I really, I I, I think that had a, a big impact on uh, the services and events over the weekend. Um, I certainly felt an, a great sense of exhaustion about that, trying to have fun traveling, you know. And I mean, really, I was on the, the, the coast of California you know, in in beautiful sunshine. I mean, how can the world's not seem gorgeous right, there? Right. And I, you know, I, I really, I, I tried to listen to that. Uh, I really did. Um, and I, I really don't mean to seem ungrateful. Um, but on the other hand, there there is something socially going on uh, of course, everyone was choosing kindness yeah. around me. Yeah. You know, we're all choosing kindness. Yeah. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Well, so. I totally agree with you, and I'd be happy to pick that up at another time. But I want to move on to a more cheerful topic: nine uh, eleven conspiracies. Now, yeah. once nine eleven happened, I saw a video today that I had never seen before, and it was of our future president Donald Trump on the phone with uh, CNN at the time of the, right after the towers went down. And Trump sounds a little bit bewildered. He's talking about how the the towers themselves were built from the outside in, which was unique at the time. I'm not sure if that was done before or since, but 
they were done that way so that the steel beams that have become so famous um, could actually be reinforcing it from the outside. And so he keeps talking about how narrow the windows were in the World Trade Center. He's talking about how he had offices there, uh, how Morgan Stanley had 50 floors devoted to it. Uh, but he kept talking about those windows, right, and how narrow those windows were. And he said, he said, you know, I just, I really don't think if a plane hit those buildings, I don't think it could bring it down. You know, if you've been in the building, you would know what I'm talking about. It just, it doesn't seem possible. So that brings us to a documentary that has been widely debunked. Another one of our favorite words on the No Country mm. podcast, loose change. And when you talk about shifting reality tunnels and wake-up calls, debunked or not, Loose Change was the first documentary that I've watched, I think, that really wrinkled my brain and made me think, what on earth is going on here? Have you seen this documentary? No, I haven't. I've heard of it, though. I certainly have heard of it. Yeah, so Um, this is one of the first viral YouTube documentaries, okay? Like, put out for free. It was four hours. And it's essentially every 9-11 conspiracy that you could think of, including the idea that jet fuel can't melt steel beams. And I was just completely sold when I saw that. This was an inside job. Bush did 9-11, the whole, the whole shebang. So I wonder, did you ever engage in the, in the conspiracy realm with 9-11? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I had... Uh... I mean, I saw it as an exponential uh, giant shadow version of Pearl Harbor in many ways. I I thought that there was room for many different possible explanations from being in on it to allowing it to happen to orchestrating it. Um, I I really, for for a very long time, I I couldn't see any way around that Mm -hmm. because I just looked and saw, well, what were the results, you know? Yeah. Um, and the results were so clear. Uh, they, they consolidated a very dubious presidency. They changed the nature of the American psyche. Uh, they, it was just a gorgeous distraction. It made an enormous amount of money for some certain people. I mean, it was very difficult to walk away from all of those things. But uh, I, I, I have changed my mind about that um, in, in part. <laughs> I am, I had a, I've had some different thoughts on, on, on the whole conspiracy angle pretty, pretty recently. Go on. I'm interested. Well, I happen, this was before, uh, I mean, I knew 9-11 was coming up and I, I had that in the back of my mind. Kind of because it's, you know, early September, end of summer, you know, more for that reason than anything. I, it, I was aware, okay, this is a major anniversary. And I was thinking about the kinds of issues that, that you and I were talking about at the start of how the change in mood. But all of that was kind of in the back of my brain. And I, I was out uh, near Nellis Air Force Base, which is uh, a, really a huge elephant in the room out here. I mean, uh, a lot of people forget that the military, uh, this is way, you know, not connected with the atomic testing and, and, you know, the nuclear site. This is today's stuff. This is a big employer in the area. It, it, it's a big source of action. 
you know, and you and you drive past, and I thought, God, you know, there's an interceptor out on the runway there, mm-hmm. and the the basic manual for that machine runs to many thousands of pages, and the basic sticker price on it is in the multi millions, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and I've got no idea about how to work that machine. Why would I think for a minute that I should know everything, you know, about what's happening with my government? Where did I get that idea that I don't know what's, what my government's up to? Hmm. Well, I thought, well, A, what gives me really the right to think that? Do I have the time, the energy, and the desire to know everything? Maybe there are some things I'm really glad I don't know for multiple reasons. Hmm. And the whole approach to conspiracy, as far as the government goes, the whole X-Files thing, and I I think that is where the conspiracy idea comes from. It's about what our government is up to that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and then I was thinking about, I know a bunch of people who I don't know anything about their personal finances, and I'm not sure how straightforward they are in terms of their, you know, love affair, loyalty sort of information. And it may not be any of my business. You know, where did we get this idea that everything is our business? You know, it's like, well, no. Mm. So that's kind of my change of, of heart, change in thinking about that. And I think with that then becomes, well, is it really a conspiracy? It's only it's a, the conspiracy becomes when some sort of narrative and we've talked about that with that word and and why that is so poisonous a word and so interesting when there is an official narrative that says x and in fact that's not true okay that's i get that but i don't know i mean that's happening all the time you know on every level you know Right, and it's also not actionable in any way, shape, or form. If you found the smoking gun to prove that 9-11 was an inside job, what difference would it make? Because nobody would listen anyway. I found this out with COVID, right? Um, And I don't have any kind of smoking gun, and I'm not making any bold claims about what COVID is or isn't and what the plans behind it were or were not. But there are a lot of interesting questions. The same as 9-11, the same as... Well, I mean, Pearl Harbor, all the way down the line, the JFK assassination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are interesting questions. But what I've sort of found, the wind that's been taken out of my sails, is that nobody really cares anyway. So so they become interesting artifacts. If, you know, if you've got some time to kill and it's interesting to you, sure, look into it, you know, learn how... Uh, uh, jet fuel works and whether or not it can melt steel beams. I'm pretty sure now that jet fuel can melt steel beams. And I'm pretty sure that if you fly a, a jetliner at 500 miles per hour into a building, no matter how strong it is, it'll probably knock it down. Okay. That's not to bring up uh, Tower 7, which is often just not discussed, not talked about. Uh, very much looks like a controlled demolition. But again, like you said, like we don't know. And I like that. I do like that. I like the intellectual humility has been something that I've been thinking about a lot because I think that 
along with a kind of dogmatic um, religious fervor on the part of the left and the right, as far as politics and social issues go right now, everybody could benefit from just a little intellectual humility of just stepping back and being like, hey, look, I'm not an expert. I have common sense. And here are some things that don't make sense to me. Here's where the gaps aren't filled in. And I'm going to either choose to let those inform the way that I approach life or not let them approach the way that I inform life. But uh, but also I'm allowed to do that. You see what I'm saying? Like it just, just to kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think that if people did that, I really do feel like we could go back to having conversations again, right? That suggesting something. Say I were to suggest, uh, well, at this point, I'd get an eye roll if I were to say jet fuel can't melt steel beams. But what if we didn't roll our eyes? What if we were like, oh, interesting. And what's the, what, what difference does it make? What's, what's the point? You might get something interesting out of an interesting person if you let them talk for long enough. And that, that's been my experience of it. But totally see where you're coming from. But uh, there's an aspect of fun to it, an aspect of puzzle solving. And I think, personally, that having a general distrust, if not an understanding, a healthy distrust of how government operates does actually allow you to make some pretty serious practical decisions with how you live your life. What do you think about that? Well, I think I think the latter part certainly is is absolutely right. And I think we all have to choose how straightforward we want to be, you know, because that's really the only thing that we can control. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, it it really it certainly does make me uh, make me feel glad that I I, I mean, I, I think of myself as a very ethical and courteous person who at least in in many uh, basic levels is, is a very straightforward person to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I want to, you know, remain that way. And it is in part um, a renewed commitment to that because of, of the complexities and mm-hmm. the uh, duplicity, you know, that I see in, in others and, and on the larger scale of government and the media. I mean, I think that, yeah, if we make those choices to, to not... Uh, go down those paths. I, I think that's cool. I think that's that's the wisdom of 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 what conspiracies maybe maybe teach us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it just I've always loved uh, what well, like the X Files type of of conspiracy theory stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I thought it, I thought it made for good stories behind the scenes, and I, I do like the idea of shadowy puppet masters and all sorts of arcane things that are happening out of sight. I, I really do get all that in in artistic terms, and I, I think that, yeah, that those are you know probably happening in some way. I think maybe that um, one of the differences between and I'm not saying 9-11 was the turning point at all, but over the last 20 years, in part, I just don't see the interest Mm -hmm. and the excitement and the fun and even the dark, sinister aspects of of conspiracies. I I just think it's gotten kind of boring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about money. Mm -hmm. It's about um, some obvious things that I just go, yeah, well, 
I mean, how could there be any question, you know? Well, well um, what about this? What if 9-11 was a large-scale satanic ritual to emasculate the United States, the Western world? What if that was the collapse of masculinity? Hypothetical two towers falling like that. Uh, I don't know. I was just trying to make it interesting again. Uh. <laughs> well, I look and 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 we're going to get into this uh, into in the uh, behind the paywall segment because I I think that you're absolutely correct in that and I think that that is the way to ratchet up the interest levels of looking at where the the mytho religious significance is behind these things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly where the action is, and I don't think that's an imposition of of you know uh pure imagination i i, I think that it, it is it is cool to think like that it, it salvages some interest in it but i think it's actually in fact what's going on mm. but then and i'm quite happy to go i mean that's the kind of conversation i i want to have and it's one of the reasons why i think talking to you is so is so exciting uh i, I i'm really when people talk about things more, well, you know, well, Bush did this to sort of, I think, well, okay, yeah, you know, okay, we've done that. I don't know, you know. So I, I think, yes, we, we need to look at things in a broader Jungian mytho-religious sort of context mm-hmm. and think about the dark uh, forces that are, uh, you know, manipulating human history in really cool, weird, twisted, and and genuinely frightening ways. I, I, I'm down with that. Yeah, I like to think about, uh, you know, things like this symbolically. You know, I think of who was president at the time, Bush. What, what does Bush bring to mind? The word Bush. And then you move on, and then you move on to Obama. Do you know what Obama means? It is a Kenyan word. You know what Obama means? I, 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 just remind me. It means Uh, to bow, to pro, to prostrate. Right. right? So then you have you have bowing, you have acquiescence, then you have Trump. What does Trump mean? Right. Then you have Biden, like biding time. He's just a stop. He's a stopgap. Right. Um, there's, there's, <laughs> I'm on to something here. I'm connecting the red threads, you know, and I'm being silly, but I also not also not because, uh, the universe is a machine that runs on story. And that's what we do when we write books. Um, Leos Carax, who made a film called Holy Motors in 2012, recently came out with a new film called Annette, not Nanette, not the horrible standup from the, uh, Australian woman. But Annette, which is a musical about a man and his daughter, and the daughter is played by a puppet throughout the entire thing. And if you've seen Holy Motors, you know, I mean, this is a guy who's working in the mode of Alejandro Jodorowsky, David Lynch, filmmakers like that. Very weird stuff, right? But Leos Carax had a great quote uh, in an interview recently where he said, you know, cinema is a place that I live in, and it's not always on film, Right. And I thought, oh, man, this guy gets it because writing and story is a place that you live in, too. It's not it's not just the act of tapping words out onto a page and, you know, coming out with a new Jack Reacher thriller. 
to sell at airports, right? Story is a place that you live in and we're in it at all times, whether you like it or not. And these things do work as stories, even though they don't always make sense uh, if you're too myopic with it, you know, if you have the telescope turned the wrong way around, it doesn't quite work. But when you back out, there's a story to 9-11. And I'm curious what you think that story is. Well, I think the the, the core of it uh, is really, uh, and we've seen some, some great examples of it, whether, uh, I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is, uh, uh, an outer limits episode uh, where, where there, there's it's a scarecrow uh, strategy of of the, the U.S. government decides we need an extraterrestrial you know attack and uh, Robert Culp, the actor who appeared in a couple of the really famous uh, outer limits, uh, including the the demon with the glass hand. They, they modify him uh, to become a kind of alien mutant-like creature, and he's supposed to crash a spaceship uh, in front of the uh, United Nations and uh, threaten the world power so that the Earthlings will come together and join forces. So, I mean, I, I think what, it, what was going on was that it was an attempt to unify, repatriotize America, which it did, uh, my personal feelings about the sight of the American flag changed dramatically after 9-11. Uh, I noticed that they were everywhere in New York City. I thought New York, um, and I spent a lot of time you know, in the months afterwards there, and I, I, I felt New York had just completely transitioned into a caring and sharing, compassionate place that it was almost unrecognizable uh, yeah, to that's me, bizarre. you know, and it, uh, it, 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 it dissipated. That didn't last forever, but it really, really did change. There's no question about it. So, I mean, I think that was the plot line. I, you know, create some external enemy attack mm-hmm. or if we want to look at it another way, when there is an external enemy attack, uh, the effect of that can be very positive and unifying. And I think it was. I think it absolutely was. Uh, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm sad. And I think one of the things that, that we were talking about at the start is, is, in a sense, that magic spell only lasted so long. Mm-hmm. And I think it was about a decade. I think... Uh, we both kind of, uh, for whatever reason, mentioned 2012. I, I think it was about just a little over 10 years that the magic spell of unity of any kind uh, really held together, you know, and it, it is now completely gone, uh, it, not in just in terms of polarity, but I think in terms of complete fragmentation. So, I mean, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. I like the idea of it as a unifying thing. I I tend to see it more of a as a harbinger of complete American collapse. Um, I do think that it had the effect of unifying it uh, of America for for ten years. I think that two thousand and one was a sort of pivotal time for. Uh, for people to begin to start looking inwards rather than identifying 
with a, a kind of uh, out group because at first we had a lot of out groups, right? We had Muslim Americans who suffered a lot in the wake of 9-11. Um, there was a sort of, there was racism. There was a lot more homophobia. Uh, I don't even think that transphobia was recognized as such at that point because, you know, it's hard to be phobic against a group that's not even really recognized as a group that's big enough to, to be phobic against. hope that's not too offensive. I don't mean it that way. Um, but I, I do think that once that 10 year gap started to, you know, wane, I think we got to a point where the things that began to unify people, sports teams, um, religions, communities, began to be turned away from in favor of the individual and uh, hyper-specific identitarianism. And I think that it kind of, it started, it, that was like, that was what was happening in that 10-year period, really, was the, was the hyper-focus hyper on factionalism and patriotism uh, and religiosity. And that was the last, that was like, it was the jet fuel right? That was burning out really quickly and really expensively. And then it just disappeared around 2012. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I, I don't know. Yes. I, I certainly don't disagree with anything you've said. I, I, um, you know, one of the things, and I, I don't know quite where this slots in, and I don't think this will come as any surprise to you given the parts of the country that you've uh, been living in. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of El Paso. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I get out on the road, I, I really um, like turning off my own music and my own phone, and, and I, I like to listen to the radio, you know? what What's on the radio? Mm -hmm. What's in the airways? We talk about the ghost radio signal, pirate radio, crystal radio, and I really, I, I believe that. And of course, when you do listen to uh, the radio out on the American highway, I think you, you, you know, most people who have any attentiveness to this at all realize that there's a lot of religion and it takes certain forms. Uh, and there's a lot of music and talk in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that a lot of that gets through to uh, the mainstream media presentation of, of, of America. And I think that what my take out this last time was that really underneath the surface, and not very far underneath the surface, there has been so much more... Uh, fragmentation, mm -hmm. diversity, specialized communities then that really are not fundamentally integrating at all. They're just not. And I, I don't know, the melting pot is not, <laughs> you know, it's not melting. And I think that this has been going on for some time and is really, the you know, has come to major attention at certain points. And I think 9-11 was one moment where that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, in different ways. And I think we, we kind of thought, well, yeah, we are together on this, you know? I mean, this is, uh, and then not really. What, about, not what really. about this? What if we think instead of 
the Twin Towers as being these symbols of the penis, right? The two penises. What if we think about them instead as a tuning fork, right? It's a it's yes, a, which is what they. That's very. I, that's what they really looked like. Yeah, yes, it's a great big tuning fork, and when those get knocked down, there is a resonance that erupts from those tuning forks. Right, it's the ultimate tune. It's like you had just exploded your tuning fork, and it's and it's resonating, and that's where the sense of togetherness kind of comes from. It's from this great big ringing out. But when that dissipates, when that wears off, now all you ha- now you just don't have the tuning fork anymore, right? And so there's this, you know, chaos and disorder. You know, everything's all you know higgledy piggledy, right? Maybe that's a better way to look at it than what I was saying before. I think I was trying to do too much a few minutes ago. I was trying to connect too many things. But I like making it as simple as it was a, you know, an enormous tuning fork that got blown up. I think that's beautiful. I mean, I think that that has, uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense just visually because I, I really, you know, I'm not even sure how phallic they really were because they're sort of too, you know, too rectangular, too, you know, geometric. But I, I certainly think that they, and I, I actually think that there was some. Uh, intentionality in them being uh like tuning a tuning fork mm-hmm. I, I think that that's that that's isn't just a, a happenstance that that's uh i seem to recall that was uh somewhere in their background in history um i i am glad that that the empire state building <laughs> get it because i love the empire state I do too, yeah. and i love the chrysler building you know i love um, big buildings they're just they're cool um and i love the skyline of new york New York will always hold a, a place in my heart, and not just because, you know, whoever I was before I was J. David Osborne clearly lived in New York. You know, I have a lot of that uh, leftover nostalgia, half remembered things from a previous life. But I really, I just, I have a lot of love for New York. But it's one of those loves where you can't be around the person that you love too much. You just have to visit them every once in a while. Like like Thanksgiving, right? I can, mm-hmm. I can go. Yeah. I, and now, I mean, with how much I've seen of uh, New York requiring things like vaccination cards to get into different venues and bars and things like that, I I don't know. Uh, I don't know when exactly I'll be going back because um, I don't feel like showing my papers to people. You know what I mean? And that makes me sad too. I'm I swear I'm not depressed. It's it, there's it's just there's a weird vibe right now, isn't there? There is, there is, and I look. No, I, I, I really hear you, and I, I, my, my personal view is to, is to let that just uh, go, and, and, and to go with it, and to not fight it, and apologize for it. There, there is a weird vibe, and sometimes you got to feel down and then a little bit depressed. And I, I think it's, it's certainly true. That's what I'm hearing from people on the ground in New York right now. Uh, I, I I think it's true in in other parts of America. I absolutely felt that in Seattle. Um, I, I felt odd in uh, in beautiful California, and I couldn't have had better weather. I was with friends, you know. So no, there 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 is something going on, and it. Um, I, I don't think that. Uh, 
the answer is just to uh, ignore it, yeah. you know. Um, sure, we're, we're going to buck up and keep going. I, I did feel uh, really good coming back to Vegas in the sense that, you know, not that we you know don't have problems here, but I, I felt like there was some uh, respite mm-hmm. from an ideological static uh, thing that I I just uh, I, that that was really getting to me. But on the West Coast, it really it, it I associate it with the West Coast, um, but I wouldn't want to be in New York City right now either. You know. Well, on that note, I think it's time for us to shift over to our Patreon episode. Do you have any parting thoughts before we head on over to Behind the Paywall? Which, by the way, I always forget to do this. I'm sorry. I I prompted you, and I'm interrupting you. I'm really sorry about that. But I always forget to do this on the free episode. Everybody should come over to the Patreon side. Uh, We have now introduced a new tier, a $5 tier, if you just want to... Uh, get the extra episodes. That's what you'll get from there. We have an $8 tier where Chris and I will be doing a once a month happy hour. Uh, There is going to be at the time of this airing 15 free episodes. So you'll get plenty of bang for your buck. We cover some very awesome topics. Um, We elucidate our thoughts about the ghost radio, crystal radio and the pirate radio. uh, And we talk a lot of cool stuff. So once again, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you like that, but I I have to get that out before I lost it again. No, you know? no, <laughs> no, no. It's good. It's good. And uh, as uh, we are doing in this uh, episode segment, uh, David was given five words to choose two to intermingle, and if listeners can pick out which those, you know, we're we're keeping track. Uh, I've heard from a couple people, and I think that's exciting. So we're going to have some quarterly awards. In uh, the next Behind the Paywall segment, the, uh, his word choices get more, uh, well, difficult, I suppose. And he has an emotional, imaginative challenge each time where we conduct our discussion. Uh, but... David's asked to come up with a solution to a creative, imaginative problem, which he rolls out at the end. And I have to say his uh, responses are just are, are really wonderful uh, and, and worth hearing. So if you, if you want to, uh, to watch David or listen to David in action, in real time, uh, the mind changing shape and, and coming up with flexible solutions it's it's very enjoyable. Uh, I also have each time a practical tip. We call them sort of psychic defense, uh, meditative, uh, practical solutions, um, some of which come directly out of my uh, textbook for Rutledge Press. And as always, some dream to share. So join us. The dreams are awesome. All right, folks, we'll see you on the other side. Okay. Take care. <laughs>